Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey guys, another week of the podcast, Bitcoin podcast episode. 172. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. Today we have a special guest with us, a, a fan. My wife is waving at me. She is not our special guest. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us how you uh, got into this space, how you found us, and, and, and what we've done for you over the years. Well, yeah, you guys have been around all of this year, so year to date. Uh, I'm Daniel, a.k.a. D-Rex, um, in the Twitter and in the Slack. I have been a, an active participant since I went down the rabbit hole. I feel like that moment happens for everybody. Um, it happens for me every day still, so that hasn't changed. Uh, really like the podcast. I feel like I've learned eight months, nine months of material in two weeks. When I first jumped down with you guys, I listened and re-listened, found out what a hardware wallet was, found out what, um, you know, digital scarcity is and all these other terms that I feel aren't hit upon enough. And so I refer people to your podcast whenever they need to learn. Um, lots and lots of people have been checking in um, on what I do because of what you guys do. So first of all, I'm very thankful that your podcast exists and what you guys do for the community is outstanding. All right. That's the show. Play. Well, thanks for stopping by, man. We love, we always like to hear stuff like that because we never really know. And when you podcast, there's no knowing of what people are thinking because typically people are listening to us in their car and they're not going to hop out of their car and go to their cubicle or hop out of their car and sprint into their house to do anything we ask them to do. But when it does happen, um, we are ecstatic. So you really fell down the rabbit hole too, because you're rocking a Bitcoin sweatshirt right now. So not only have you listened to the like listen to the podcast regularly, contribute in the Slack and, and Twitter, but you also rep Bitcoin gear on a regular basis. <laughs> Yeah. Lose you there? Looks like we lost it for a second. Uh-oh, internet's not being kind. You there, Daniel? Cool. I'm there here. it is. Yeah. How many yeah. times a week do family and friends uh, almost make you turn into DMX with their ignorance sometimes? Um, I feel like I bug everybody I know way more than they bug me. Um, I, I know that all <laughs> of my coworkers hear me nonstop. I know that my family and friends have heard me talk about it. Uh, my girlfriend, Teresita, can't 
stop me from talking about it. So <laughs> um, I, I feel like pretty much everybody I talk to knows that I'm into Bitcoin, knows that I feel like that's the future of everything. And I think that it's really hard to shut that off even when I know. Like I will go to a, I mean, back in the day, like even three months ago, you go out and you talk about Bitcoin, somebody walks away from you. And now people are seeking you out at these places and like over dinners and at the movies or wherever you're going. And somebody overhears you talk about cryptocurrency and it is now like, oh, you're the you're the expert. There's so many crypto experts now that have never existed a week ago. So um, I think it's just important to keep that perspective. Like you guys are experts because you have been in here forever and we should be, you know, hey, Ask me questions, but you know what you should do. You should do the research yourself. You should listen to these people, um, and they'll be able to help you a lot more than I can. That's that's an interesting point. Would you consider all um, innovators and futurists and early adopters experts just because they got in before everybody else? You know, that's a tough question because if you just bought a bunch of Bitcoin and let it sit for seven years, and you all of a sudden came back to your hard drive and you're a billionaire, like – does that just because you're a billionaire, does that give you the insight that you were such a world changer or um, is it more of a, just like you got super lucky or you had a, a belief in something? But I don't know. I think if you're a developer or if you've actually contributed to the pr protocol in some way or you're adding to the space in some way, you become uh, at least a consultant. The amount of time mm -hmm. that you put in in terms of like learning, explaining, building is reflective across like that's like i guess it's it's relative right so like to the average person who has no idea what any of this stuff is you seem like an expert right like correct let's yeah. say like if you if you can teach a child some things that they don't know to them you seem like an expert but to someone who's been in the space for a long time you you may not know much and you're not an expert to them so there's like levels of expertise in this mm -hmm. space and to the average person we would be considered experts even though we don't know everything yeah yeah Corey, i i consider you an expert because it's your job title yeah so i i guess i can <laughs> safely say i'm an expert <laughs> in some yeah. things but like it's also like i mean if you think of like malcolm gladwell's ten thousand hours like you don't become an expert unless you have 10,000 hours, which is about 10, 10 years of, of like full-time job and mm, the whole space you're going all in. I mean, you yeah, go all in every right. day. There's, it's about three to five years. So like, but we could be close to that because I've pretty much gone in all day, every day for, since 2000, late 2012. But yeah, definitely. We're close to 10,000 hours. There's still so pitch. much I don't know. And the space is growing so rapidly that it becomes impossible. And I felt this during like when I got my PhD. Like the only thing I learned mostly, well, not the only thing I learned, but one of the main things that I that stayed with me is that the more you learn about a specific topic, the more esoteric you get and down the rabbit hole you get with a specific topic and say physics, the more you realize you don't know anything. Like there's so much more out there that you can't know because it's there's too much. You can't spend all of your day getting really good at one thing or like Are you or getting good at good at all the things. He's what? plugging his tattoo. No, You're my plugging tattoo. Your tattoo. That's not my tattoo. Oh, it is my tattoo. I forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. Oh, I just I just forgot my tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Is it's, it's the face tattoo? 
No, it's a <laughs> <laughs> Doctor yeah. Petty with a face tat. That would be. He puts makeup on awesome. every day. Yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah. a skeleton here. It's just all makeup. You should push the envelope at how far your physical appearance can change in people's suspect you as a PhD. Like get some teardrops mm-hmm. and uh, old English across my chest or stomach, like upper beard. stomach. Yeah, dye your beard like a, like a Cam Newton. Dye your beard and maybe get a single braid that comes out of the side of your head. Yeah, but like, but anyways, like back back to that. Like, how do you, because there are levels of expertise, and everyone nowadays is calling themselves an expert, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah. How do you parse through the people who are full of shit versus the people who actually have some expertise? Talk to them. Well, I'm talking about for like the yeah, average person. The average average person doesn't oh. know any better. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Then if you're an average, this is some good advice. I, it just hit me. If you're an average fellow or fella and you get on LinkedIn and you see all these um, women and gentlemen that are like, I'm a blockchain expert because I sent an Ethereum transaction and it was confirmed, then you need to talk to like five to ten of those people. And you're going to f- and ask them a series of questions such as, you know, like, what is the consensus algorithm of that? Or this, and what is this elliptic curve thing I keep hearing about? Like, if they don't, if they don't have answers to those types of questions, then they're not an expert. They sent a transaction with Coinbase and it went through, and their family thinks they're a genius. That's pretty much what that boils well, down to. How about looking at it from the other side? What what are you looking for in a blockchain expert? What type of knowledge would you find valuable in a candidate? And like, what what proof of that knowledge would you appreciate the most? Me. Pure expertise in building things. They need to understand. Like, so I, I actually have to hire people to build build projects that require some type of, you know, quote unquote, blockchain expertise. And the majority of what I'm looking for is experience at a protocol level of actually building building things because there's no standards. So they need to be able to have hands on experience of like trying to make things work with what currently exists. Mm-hmm. Like they needed to know what IPFS is or how to, how to you know, make make dApps on Ethereum. They need to know what yeah. the consensus algorithms are and kind of the design decisions of how you write smart contracts. They need to understand mm-hmm. like what the what the fee market is or how to build something that, you know, take, can can maybe estimate fees on the Bitcoin network and how to optimize that. They need to understand what a bloom filter is. There's a lot of like depending on what you're trying to build there's a varying set of expertise you need. And so it's it's just like in the modern world, right? Depending on what you're building, you look for people who have experience in those specific, you know, constraints that you have. And the space has grown so fast that it's become, you need to be specialized or have expertise or experience in some type of thing that's relevant to what you're building. You can't just say, I'm a blockchain expert. I know how to do everything. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can dig that. And I love the acronym thing. Experts tend to know a lot of acronyms in their specific discipline. And mm-hmm. if they don't know those acronyms, then that's a red flag. If you if you walk with someone they don't know what IPFS is and they're in this industry, you're going to have to give them the dog crooked look like, mm, 
Or at least you like sure you don't know what IPFS is. What's what sure? it, if you explained it to them, they'd be like, "Oh, that makes sense. Why that's useful because you don't store a bunch of stuff on a blockchain. Like yeah. you got to have storage somewhere. And I mean, there's there's the things like if you have a you need to have a, like a long conversation with these people and ask them a bunch of questions and then pretty much gauge whether or not they're capable of doing what you need them to do or like whether or not how, what their expertise is. I just we, like uh, go ahead. You know, go ahead. I like good advice, like about usability, like, Hey, this uh, particular coin will be useful someday, or this particular coin has good development around it. It might be great financially for you to have a little piece of that, but in the end, it's going to be more usability. There will be success with it because people will actually have a place for it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of these 99% of all these new coins and tokens and whatnot that will just burn and crash, but there will be some usability um, on some of these new ones. And so I guess an expert to me was somebody who can see um, not only the usability of Ethereum and Bitcoin, because those two sort of are stable, but that can see sort of the extra. What's that extra coin coming out that actually has some value? Is there a protocol that is... Um, going to be extremely useful in the future. Are there bugs in it? I mean, you've been hearing a lot about IOTA being the future, and then all of a sudden, there's a huge glitch, and there's a huge horrible part of uh, the programming, and now it's not associated with Microsoft and all this nonsense. So uh, yeah. it's, hard to, it's hard to find out who really is an expert and who is just trying to pump their coin to make a lot of money. Yep, pump it up like Joe Budden. There's a lot of that in, in this industry. Yeah, I think you kind of have to meter like every time you hear somebody say something, it's always metered with like, what are they standing to gain by telling me this? Yeah. Well, and if, go ahead. I was going to try and segue into some of our talking points, but you look like you were going, you were nope. about to go in. So go That's for it. it. Just meter everything you hear, read or, or, or like listen to from what do they stand to gain by telling me this? The word of the day, children, is due diligence. And I put a hyphen <laughs> in between two words to make it one so I could do that. So, you know, it wouldn't be Bitcoin without at least talking about price for a little bit. And as it turns out, cryptocurrency has a market cap that is a little bit over half a trillion dollars right now. Um some people are getting uncomfortable. It's giving some people diarrhea. It's giving other people more confidence than they ever should have. Um, but what exactly can we wrap our our heads around what that means? You know, I mean, half a trillion dollars it sounds fancy when you say it, but when we're living in a world where countries are in trillions of dollars of debt and there's hundreds of trillions of dollars of transactional value moving around the planet in a day. And at some peak points of the year, there's a, at least a quadrillion of data of quadrillion dollars of value moving. I mean, what does half a trillion mean? Let's try and figure out what this shit means. Cello, you're first. Bam. What do you think it means? Bam. Bam. Go. Uh, well, this all happens. Well, from from year zero to year seven, the market cap hit two hundred trillion, billion, and then billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, billion. And then all this growth has happened in the last month, and that might be too much, too fast. I'm afraid, because now we we have the same market cap as like tobacco. 
were like 10% of oil and gas companies. And this has all happened like in the last month. So I don't know. It might be, it's good that the cap is increasing because it, it, it's added interest, but it might be too, too, too much growth. How I will say the growth is seeming quick, but it's linear on a day-to-day week-to-week in which that linearity is bringing the percentage change down. So, I mean, is it scary? If you if you put ten $10 billion a day into something, that percentage change drops pretty quickly. So, well, two thousand eighteen is going to be a year that institutional money is going to start flowing in the crypto market. Uh, TD Ameritrade is getting into it. Yeah, Wall Street. Uh, the internet bubble was like it was sustained in the United States. But crypto is a global currency. Yeah. So that's the uh, thing is like, I like yeah. that you said that. Keep going. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it if it doubled in 2018. You know. Yeah, it feels like Quest 64 when you spend like three hours throwing those wind cutters at the rabbits. Does feel that way. Right. You know, you spend three hours throwing wind cutters at the rabbits, and the next thing you know, boom, you've got boulder armor. And you, just, you could take on you just alienated about ninety percent of anyone listening to this podcast. I get it. Oh, I get it. Cello gets all that matters. That's exactly. I was talking to Cello only <laughs> specifically. And if you've never played Quest sixty four, you need to get the N sixty four classic when it comes out in two thousand nineteen, which is gonna happen. I mean, obvious. It's obvious play. That the N sixty. You play Quest sixty four? That game won't be on the classic. Yeah, I was about to say that. That's I say just go get a retro pie and download yeah, an emulator. You're Zelda, yeah. you're getting yeah. Mario. Yeah. Uh, Golden Eye, Mario, and Quest. Corey said, I, I say you just go give yourself a chore. I'm saying wait till 2019. <laughs> yeah. And when the N64 classic drops, hope that N- that Quest 64 is on there because it's the greatest oh. RPG of all time. Oh, and then... Yeah. um. Play it, and when you're farming rabbits for three hours, you're going to understand where cryptocurrency was between 2012 and now. All right, so, so I don't, I don't, I think we're still, I don't know, I'm kind of back and forth between how I feel about all this, this crazy price rise. Because I'd say for the majority of the time we've been in this space, we're like, this is only a matter of time, it's going to happen. And it happens, we're like, holy shit, it's happening, is this good? And but we're kind of it's it's such a general technology and when we say the total market cap we're talking about one a kind of a bad metric in general and we're encompassing every single network associated with cryptocurrency and blockchain and lump summing all of those together now bitcoin is the dominant of those so it kind of takes the majority of it but it's it's kind of like of course they're blowing up. Money's coming in, and we're talking about a ridiculous pool of money. Like traditional finance is multiple, multiple, multiple trillions, like you know, more than trillions of dollars. And we have half a trillion now of people who are like, hey, let's throw some money at this thing that finally seems legitimate after all those years. And mm. it's not going to stop. It's just a matter of whether or not we can contain it. It's almost like it's it's a stress test, right? Like mm-hmm. they're throwing a little bit of their money at us to then see if whether or not it's going to break or not or whether or not they can make money off of it. 
from being able to manip- actually being able to manipulate prices. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, there's a lot of back and forth. Like one, of course this is happening because we've been talking about it happening for years now. And two, holy shit, it's happening. Can we handle it? Mm-hmm. I think that now that Wall Street's in, there's two things happening. One, there's a cocaine superhighway going straight to straight to New York right now. <laughs> they are they are going to town. I'm talking faces in mountains of white because uh, they are making a lot of money when they get in this. And then there's also of those people, like like we said time and time again. You know, it's I wish I knew the stratification, but there's no science that could ever help us figure it out. But there's going to be a small percentage of people that are like, hey. This cocaine has worn off, guys. This stuff actually works. We can do things with this. Like, let's get smart guy one, two, three, four, and five. They're usually in their office tinkering with shit. And let's start to build some stuff. Let's see what can happen. So I think that cycle just repeats. It's like, oh, my God, I can make a shit ton of money. And then when the cocaine wears off, you're like, oh, wait, this stuff is actually useful. Like, we can do things. And I feel like that cycle is just going to keep repeating itself until a paradigm shift occurs where we're trading, you know, millions of pounds of cotton for Bitcoin. When that day happens, the game has officially changed. That's the paradigm shift is going to be when goods and goods that are needed uh, are traded and denominated in Bitcoin. That's that's a day that I fear that I feel is coming very soon. Um but right now, it's funny, we're talking about market cap, but we're still talking about it in terms of the dollar. That's right. Right. So the paradigm shift is, is nowhere near occurring yet. But the very first time a company says, hey, I successfully traded 15 Bitcoin for uh, you know, 50,000 pounds of uh, cotton at a future date. Boom. That's it. So, Dan- Daniel, you got something here? I'm going to add on to that if you, if you, when you're done. Sure. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, go Daniel. Make it happen, Captain. I really I like the trillion. I like the half trillion. I like the one trillion. I like the two trillion. I like when it's ten trillion. <laughs> so, Give me all the trillions. I'll take as many trillions as you're willing to throw. Because I feel like Bitcoin is still extremely undervalued. The crypto space as a whole is undervalued. Um, yes, you guys want I mean, I see posts now on Twitter too fast, too high, too fast, too soon. But you guys wanted soon. You guys wanted boom. You wanted, uh, you wanted these gigantic gains when it started out. And now that they're here, people are freaking out about it. But I think this is still the earliest innings possible. This is a, a long baseball game with a lot of action yet to be had. Um, and this is like the first inning. It hasn't even started yet. The world has finally woken up a little bit to it. Countries are using it as survival means. This is changing the world. It has already changed the world. It's too late to stop it at this point. Even regulation and whatnot has been very favorable for Bitcoin in Korea and some of the other countries that are gigantic percentage holders of it. So I think that the trillion is just one more small step. It's about to change everything if it hasn't already. So we'll see what happens in the next year. But I think 2020 is actually going to be the biggest year. Why 2020? Uh, the having, the new happening. So ah. it's down. Mm-hmm. This man has been to the depths of the rabbit hole, <laughs> and he has come back to the surface. Oh, that's that's assuming that's that's still a that's still quite an that's assumption right. in, in a few years. That's, that's, right. that's two years away. Yeah, that's 
that's the hip pocket card that us crypto crypto geeks always are holding on to. It's like, oh, cool, all this bullshit's happening. Wait till the next happening, and then you start to see memes out the ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can see people riding little rocket ships all over the place now, but it's it's nothing. It's nothing to what's going to happen someday, assuming that there's still a demand for it in 2020. You're and, you're gonna see some planetary stuff. Hey, Corey, I know that sometimes you have uncertainty around you know the usability and what's what's really happening in the world but there's one trend that has stand standard true since the beginning of bitcoin and that's in some time frame 0 to 6 months after a happening price gets silly i mean it's just it just is what happens and it the demand gets silly yeah well you got and you got, you got two data points on that one so we'll, we'll wait for a few more before i start seeing a trend Two no, data no. points is a line. Three data points is a trend, baby. Um, Three. <laughs> let's see. So, like, I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of like everyone's still talking about the dollar, and in the you, your kind of idea of mass adoption or, or like what's the the choking point is whenever everyone like when, when the paradigm shift is when people are like trading goods and services for Bitcoin on a, on, a, on a on a large scale. But I think a different paradigm shift that isn't solely reliant upon bitcoin because right now like we use the u.s dollar as kind of the standard it's a money right it's it's the standard in which we we compare everything else to so like everything is done in terms of the unit of the dollar so that we can all agree upon how much something is worth and we all can basically feel the same way about how much how much that is but and this is like money got created because the barter system was so bad, mainly due to something called the coincidence of wants, which means that like, if I had chickens and I wanted goats, I was forced to find somebody that wanted chickens and had goats. And there was no way to go around like, and then in, involving some type of third party trade where three people come to an agreement on things like that became more and more difficult. But with cryptocurrencies, you're able to kind of tokenize almost everything. And you end up solving in a way the the coincidence of wants because I can have any cryptocurrency and get anything else that I want and automatically trade through a number of intermediaries to get that at a value that everyone agrees upon. So you're 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 able to hold everything that you want or everything that you're able to produce and get everything that you want when you want it almost automatically through this internet of money. And so you may not need a reference currency if you have this large global multivariable market that automatically tells you how much something is worth when you want it, as opposed to trying to like have this standard reference. And that's mm-hmm. just new ways of doing business because the, the technology allows you to do it. So like a hyper liquid global economy where you always find you can instantaneously find the person that has what you need and you don't you don't have to and care versa. you don't really have to care whether or not they want what you have because you can translate it into what they want automatically instantaneously mm. i think my brain just exploded a little bit Am I, I think that's out of my eyes i think that's <laughs> cool like that's kind of what the future is is coming to and so that's that's a universe of many, many, many types of 
digitized scarce assets run by blockchain networks mm-hmm. where you don't require a dominant cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, which is a possibility, or we end up with just basically a, you know, a reserve currency like Bitcoin and some other stuff that works. But mm-hmm. I kind of like that other vision a little better because I think it's, it, it allows people to do what they want when they want to do it and produce what they can with their whatever means they have and then get whatever they want whenever they want it. I hope that everyone listening to this that is building or the what's to come in the future. Minority Report. So should we swing to <laughs> should we swing to the uh interview or you guys want to keep shooting the shit? Um we could we could uh go to interview and then um see where that takes us. Yeah. Oh, you to... know what we did not do? We did not pay the bills. Yeah, let's pay the bills. Uh, uh, you want to do that after the interview or before the interview? Uh, let's do it now. All right. So uh, here's going to be some commercials. Hit the skip button if you're lame. Uh, hey, actually, our guest for this week is right outside the studio. So let's all take a quick pee break while we get her settled in the studio. All right. <laughs> all right. And we're back. Hey, and we're back. <laughs> that was fast. <badass. laughs> um, crazy. Post-production. <laughs> Uh, we're brought to you by uh, DeEscrow, which is, uh, you know, if you started listening to this podcast, we were kind of brought in with an escrow service sponsor. Now, that's true. It's, it's full circle. The decentralized escrow platform, uh, it is, in fact, the world's first in the world platform for secure crowdfunding because it has an inbuilt, inbuilt mechanism of the decentralized escrow. And what this means is it's going to give investors an opportunity to control the exponential of the invested funds once the ICO is over. So the whole mission statement of this project is to make ICOs less risky. And, you know, we talk about this in the interview. You know, we're going to eliminate the distrust of the potential backers to the new startups. We're going to give a boost to the further ICO market growth in 2018. So that's what they're all about. Uh, The pre-sale raised over $150,000. And you now have like 10 days to participate in ICO. So it's going to end quick. So head on over to that website. Find out more. The escrow is – they're they're making – ICO safer for all participants. So that's dsgrow.com. Yeah. And if you're feeling salty about ICOs, there's lots of flavors on the planet. You didn't have to pick salty. Okay. Just check them out. <laughs> that's the jingle. <laughs> that's the jingle this week. Check them out. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Um, yeah. Friday night, K's are ready. Get to it. All right. We interviewed someone on a Friday night. That's how I think I know we're like getting just a little bit more maybe influence or whatever. Is that so we could take somebody's as part of somebody's Friday evening? Um, you know what I mean? Like, not a lot of people are gonna say, like, yeah, I'll do an interview on Friday night because that's not an important night for my life. So I'm just saying, anyways, cello. Hit us with an introduction of the person. Oh, put me on the spot. I wasn't ready. Neither was I, which is why I dished the rock. You could always dish it to Corey, but I can see (laughs) on his face he's hoping you don't. I I introduced, I gave her a little slight introduction. She, um, here's what I can say about her she worked in Silicon Valley for five years and she's done. Now she's in LA starting the next chapter of her life, and we got the first interview 
through this uh, Silicon Valley to LA transition. And she yep. is a uh, independent blockchain developer. And she has Corey's stamp of approval in the writing department, which is very hard to get. It's very true. Corey Where is Corey? Corey right here. You haven't talked in a while. Y'all are doing advertisements and introductions. What do I need to talk about? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, without further... Actually, Daniel, you want to do the little little uh, transition? I would love to. Thank you for All asking. Right. Go for it. Here it is. Hey, so today our special guest is Preeti Casaretti. She's a uh, independent blockchain developer with a pretty amazing background. She's been on our radar for a while. We uh, we met her at DevCon, and uh, me personally, uh, I think a good way to start this interview because I'm super curious to know how you came from this really small town in Jersey, and then you had kind of this bravery because I know I couldn't do it to move to a place where you just you didn't know anyone, and and then kind of curious how you navigated through this whole crypto space so successfully. Yeah, sure. Um, so you broke up a little bit about the Jersey part. Can you repeat that? Sorry. Yeah, so I, I, I like the dynamic between how you grew up in this small town in Jersey and then, I mean, you go to this behemoth place like Silicon Valley and start a career where you don't know anybody and, and then add the crypto space on top of that. And you did it successfully. So I was kind of wondering, you know, what that was kind of like. Yeah, sure. Um, you're right. I came from this small town in New Jersey. I actually lived... Um, in a bunch of different places, but New Jersey was where it was probably the most urban city. Um, and I always knew I just didn't fit in there for some reason in the sense that I, you know, I had like really, really big aspirations as a child. I wanted much, but a lot of it didn't enable me to do that. And I knew that going out to college was kind of my escape to come out to California. For some reason, I just had this gut feeling that California would be where I could get like this ultimate freedom of like doing what I want. <laughs> so I came out and so I applied to a bunch of colleges here and then I ended up coming out here for college. And then after college, uh, went up to Silicon Valley for to start my career at Goldman Sachs. So I was actually in an engineering college, but got pulled into finance early in my career. And yeah, and then I I was in finance. I was at Goldman, and then I was at Andrews and Horowitz doing. Uh, I was on the deal team doing venture capital, and then how I got into crypto was um, we at A16Z we made the investment in Coinbase, and I was there when we made that investment, and um, like saw the whole dil- diligence process, and then I also uh, Balaji Srinivasan, who's the founder of Twenty One Co. and then now Earn Com. He also had joined the firm at the time, and he was very, very into Bitcoin at that time. And so because of him, I also got motivated to kind of learn more about the space and just kind of started doing a lot of research on my own. And that's how I got super fascinated by it. And then when I decided to leave Venture and go back to being an engineer day to day, I ended up joining Coinbase. And so that's kind of how I navigated to back to crypto. Yeah, I'd say like, uh, not only were you in almost like the perfect place at the perfect time, but you've also like put in the work to take advantage of the opportunity when it arose itself. And and, and that's like quite evident in a lot of the blog posts you've put out. I'd say a, a good portion of what you've done in terms of explaining things at a nice fundamental level to that's that's accessible to people who don't quite 
understand fundamentals or technicalities very well has been fantastic. I, I tend to point people to your blogs more often than not when I'm tr- people are introduced or trying to be introduced to the space. How how much time do you spend on writing or where do you find the time to write? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, to be honest, like, so I started writing when I first, uh, I only started, I started writing about two and a half years ago when I decided to leave venture and go into software engineering. And initially it was more like I was doing it, it I was doing it just out of like passion because I wanted, I, like I, everything I would learn, I'd be so fascinated by it. I just wanted to teach basically the whole world what I wanted to learn. And writing was my way of teaching. And I just kept doing it month over month. And eventually I think people, I started to realize that people actually enjoyed the content I was putting out. And, um, and like, you know, there were some months where I, like, for example, when I first joined Coinbase, I was super busy and there was a couple months where I just t- couldn't write a blog post. But every time I get into this phase where I don't write something for longer than like a couple months, I go crazy. So I, I probably aim for like a blog post a month or around there. And then I, it really depends, right? If it's like, if it's like one of like, for example, my blog post on moving to Silicon Valley, that's more, that's much more like personal. And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of me writing about myself and those um, usually they're quicker for me because anyone can talk about themselves very easily. Like everyone loves talking about themselves. <laughs> and um, it's just it, for that one, it was more about how do you craft a story that actually um, people can understand and not like go into my entire life story. Like just give them, give them enough to like follow my path. Um, and then for more technical ones, you know, like for example, you know, it ranges like some articles that are written are like as long as 30 minute reads. And those take quite a long time. So there's like a whole upfront time where like, if I want to write about something, uh, if I don't, if I don't, if there's some gaps missing in my knowledge, I'll do some, I'll spend, I'll spend some time doing some research and just writing this like massive outline. And then if once the outline is done, for me, getting that into a writing form is pretty easy. But for me, the hardest or the most um, time consuming part is getting that heart, getting the outline done. I can take, I mean, for example, for the how Ethereum works post, like, um, I probably spent a few days, like, I can't, I don't, I don't even know how to count hours, to be honest. Like, that post took, from the outline phase to the actual getting the blog post out phase, probably I spent, like, three, four hours a day for, like, four or five days or something like that. I can see that. It was it was pretty in-depth and quite extensive so <laughs> I, can, I can definitely say that I'm, i was just thinking it as i was reading it like this took a shitload of time i don't know where someone finds the time to write all this but i'm, I'm definitely appreciative of you doing it <laughs> yeah i i, I realized i used to hate writing and then i i mean i still hate writing but i do it because i love it like most writers if you ask them whether they like writing or not they'll say absolutely not but for some reason we do it anyway it's kind of one of those things it's like running right like no one likes running but they do it Mm-hmm. Um, there's an addictive feeling to it. That's kind of how writing is. I got a question. Yeah. What was, what was working at Coinbase like? Give us the dirt. This can be <laughs> on the record if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Coinbase was awesome. Uh, so, a few Wait, days. are you going to give us like the magazine answer? Or no, the... no, no. Come on, give, me, give us the real. <laughs> so, I joined because I love the people. And so if there's one thing I can say about Coinbase, it's like they have really amazing 
interesting people. Um, and what I loved about Coinbase is crypto naturally, at least the early crypto people, people who are drawn to crypto early are just weird in a weird way, in an interesting way. Like, you know, they're these libertarian, like, anarchists or like, or not even, they don't even have to be that, but they're just like something about them dra- dra- uh, attracted them to crypto, which makes them interesting to me. And so it was kind of a group of people like that and a group of engineers who I really just enjoy working with. But of course, um, uh, it all, every company has its flaws. Like one, I think one thing we claimed is um, like processes were not a thing. <laughs> Uh, we, like when I joined, we were about a hundred people and it still operated like a startup, like basically someone working out of like, you know, a two story house or something. So that started to change a lot as I was transitioning out, but you know, every, it, it was kind of like the startup mentality. Honestly, I don't have any, any dirt to give you. Coinbase is, is what it is. It's, it, it is what you see it as like Coinbase has a brand. Coinbase has this um, way of doing stuff that's friendly with the regulators. They have a way of not cutting corners. And you saw that from the inside out too, where everything we did was very methodical and, and we weren't trying to cut corners just to make money or something like that. We were always trying to do what's right. And I, I, I honestly love that mentality about Coinbase. And I think that doing that over like six, over a period of six, 10 years ended up catching up and they ended up, you know, really being the most trusted platform today from most of the mainstream population to transact, right? Definitely. They're definitely winning right now. So hats off yeah. to coin. Well, you, yeah. you believe that, that like the only way to make this good tech, uh, I think I read in one of your blurbs is the it's best by focusing on the core and fundamental issues, thereby making it more adaptable. Can you specifically call out any examples of, maybe recent nonsensical hype or fake promises that could be stunning this growth that you envision? Are you talking about just blockchain in general? Yeah, just in general. Yeah, so that post, the fundamentals post was just driven. Honestly, like that's been in my head for months and I just needed to get it out on paper because like I think what happened this year obviously was just like massive amounts of hype because of all the ICOs and everything. And then over the last month, it's just been crazy. Like, I don't even know what's going on. And it was getting really annoying to have so many people reach out, have no, have like, have no idea what this blockchain thing is or anything, but like, you know, all they care about is like making, get getting rich type of thing. And like, they don't care about all the work that's been try- that's trying to be or that's being put in to actually make this technology work, and it's not about all the price and hype and inflation and all that. And I was like, hey, look, like beyond all this hype, there's an underlying technology layer that we should actually all be focusing on because that's where the applications will come out. Like for us to grow into the valuation that Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these blockchains have is it's hard unless we actually build something useful for the world, right? And like right now, we can't do anything like that on the blockchain, at least not on the main public ones today. And I kind of wanted to call attention to that. I think that that blog post, although it's it's certainly like true, and and the and the problems or the like the fundamental issues that we're all platforms are facing and trying to overcome through various like innovative ways of of fixing these problems, 
you're going to be cited as the reason as why blockchain's bad or it's going to fail in a lot of different ways. But I think you you taking the time and pointing to these issues that are very clear in terms of like the the technology level, like a fundamental level. These are the issues that are keeping us from becoming what we're capable of becoming is really important because it's very easy because of the price hype for people to overlook them and just start saying the words without understanding what they're saying. And this at least gives people some type of reality check as to where we are despite all of the price rises and where we need to go in order to actually provide any type of value at an application layer to like an end user. And I, and I, and I, I, I wish there was more of this, but unfortunately most of the focus goes to how do I become rich as fast as possible off this thing called blockchain. I know it's really, it's really sad. Um, but I think what, what you're seeing is that if, you are an engineer researcher or even just like an economist or just someone an enthusiast in the space that's been around for long enough like if you notice on twitter lately a lot of the core people that have been around are, are kind of coming out and saying like hey look like this like we don't really like for example vitalik came out and was like what have we actually done to earn this valuation right like have we have we saved the unbanked and et cetera, et cetera. and like vlad came out and kind of said you know, like there's not a single application I can think of that's scalable on the blockchain. Um, I wrote that post and then Vinay Gupta today came out and said like similar, had a massive tweet storm about like, what are we actually doing? We have to actually build something useful. So I think like, I think a lot of us who've been around in the space or like really genuinely care about the technology itself are a little bit nervous because it's, it's kind of like that like internet bubble type of moment. And we're at a point where, you know, the expectations are way above what the reality is. It's about time that we, I don't and I'm not saying that we're we're doomed, but I think we do just need to shift our focus into the right to the right places. Is it is it that or is it like there may be an aspect of this because we've inherently brought economics into the mix by it, it's 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 a sole part of how this technology works and how it can work because you need that incentivization layer, which has these weird economic models that haven't been tested or tried before in history, but we're also disrupting like massive financial institutions and rebuilding a lot of that stuff from the ground up, which means that we're tapping into this ridiculous source of money and we're only now starting to rise and create or like, like really see disruption, but we haven't really gotten a significant portion of that money and we're already uncomfortable with the amount of money that we have. Is, is Who's uncomfortable with this? I mean, I'm, I know I'm uncomfortable. uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I answered, question on, I answered this question on Twitter with one word. He, he asked all those questions, and I said, yes, period. I think all this money flowing in is a vote of confidence in what can be. I think if anybody's fearful, they just need to take a step back. Because every single thing that's happening right now is everything we've been talking about for five years. Yeah, but as these price and rises happen. if you weren't happen, ready for it, <laughs> if you weren't ready for it, then you were just talking a bunch of BS. I, I think we're right seeing. Now. I think we're seeing the price rises, but they're having effects that we didn't quite see um, come into play as the price rises. Like for instance, the fee market and the amount of amount it costs to actually just use Bitcoin for any reason is way too high. And these like maybe unforeseen consequences of drastic money coming into us and us not being able to adapt to it quick enough are having negative effects on the adoption, or at least 
our ability to scale it in a way that's fast enough. We're much too far in the game to let fear set in right now. And I get where Vitalik was going with all his tweets. It was, he was checking the entire ecosystem. But the answer to all of his questions was yes. You're damn right. The value's in the right spot. And the right people have the right investment behind them to continue innovating and to continue pursuing all the things we've been speaking to for five years. But the reality is, though, like, the the value, I mean, it's all hype. Like, there's no fundamentals there. I disagree. I mean, there, okay, I, there I are some fundamentals. But if you look at just, like, even if you look at, for example, what, half a billion was raised in ICOs, like, all of that, like, I would say 99.9% of that is just going to be destroyed. Like, have you seen any, like, besides, like, the top 10 projects or something in, in Ethereum, like, are, are, do you really believe all those ICOs are going to survive? Hell like, no. That's all, that's all destroyed value. And so to me, yeah, sure. I think we do deserve a high valuation, but I think right now it is at a ballooning state and it's going to correct. There's no doubt about it. Like we have to grow into that or, or yeah, we, it's just like we're, we're at a point where we just have to grow into that. We have no other choice. We don't, we're not, it, it is a huge, it, it's, Valued at a future potential, sure, but I think it's way ahead of itself, in my opinion. Then how do you how, how do you healthily grow into something like that? Because like pe- people are going to throw money at these things. Period. It's you've you've created a higher inclusive financial investment tool than what has previously existed, and allowed people to to basically crowdfund from across the world based on you know shits and giggles. If, if someone feels like it's a good idea, they could throw money at it nowadays. But of course, the, there's a lot of things that are going to fail, but it's bringing a lot of attention to the space. And maybe a percentage of that is quality developers and they learn a lot of lessons through possi- through, through a lot of failures. No, that's a, good, that's a fair point. Like, I think this attention, this mainstream attention is definitely drawing more people to be interested, at least more developers to start to at least like poke around and be interested Hopefully that helps us, like jumps, like helps us like fix or like improve the current systems and get to the next next stage. But I think it's also important to like not get over, get get too, too, um, too about the situation and and like just like not actually work on the problems that need to be worked on. Like there's, I guess what what really is bothersome for me is there's some projects that have been around that are notable projects that have been around for god like four or five years and what have what have we produced <laughs> in all this time right like it's like um do we have a privacy preserving coin that actually works at scale really different projects that aren't for so long and no i said there's this, there's a lot of different projects that have been around with the right intentions but a lot of them are still just white papers or very early beta type of testnet type of implementations. And we just need to move faster and, and put more um, resources in the game. Could you imagine that being a funding model problem or like yeah. a severe lack of talent? Cause it, like, I, I was yeah. also like, I think it could be argued that because you give so many people so much money at the gate of them starting with nothing, that they're not really incentivized properly to, really work to produce good content it's like i made i think that 100 million dollars i made 100 million dollars and i have nothing i guess i'll start working on that slowly 
<laughs> I think that uh, this all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense if you say instead of them getting a bunch of money up front, they get a bunch of time up front. Yeah. And usually it's the other way around. Usually you're busting ass for a long time on short deadlines to make something amazing, and then you get the money. Then you get a little bit more time to think a little bit harder. Seems that uh, we went the opposite direction. Yeah. So. How are how are startups able to raise capital from top VC firms, and then they go through this giant hiring craze, and then people think these startups are doing exceptionally well? It's just it's totally backwards. What do you mean? It is. It's it's ass backwards. So, uh, what are the what are the technological challenges standing in in the way of that? Like, how do we? I mean, right now, nothing more is needed to launch a coin sale than just a white paper and the promise of some computer code. I mean, in 2018, ICOs need to get better. What do we do? That's a very yeah. that's a big question. No, I agree with that. I think the current. I mean, you're already seeing that happen, like where the ICO craze is kind of dying down. A lot of these projects haven't been able to raise nearly as much as what was possible just like three, four months ago. And I think you're just seeing the market getting smarter. Um, and I just think the current way of raising ICOs, the structure, and like if you if you just go into any of these telegrams channels or, or whatever for all these ICOs, like you'll see that everything is completely driven by hype. Like the users, the end users who are buying into these coins want the teams to just drive up hype so the price drives up and they can like pump and dump. It's it's all just market manipulation and speculation. And so I think that kind of, I think people are just going to get smarter and smarter. And that's not going to work as well anymore. And I think we're going to get, I think someone ought to create a better ICO structure. I don't know who will do it, but like, like you said, like, you don't need $100 million, but maybe you'd need $5 million to get to an MVP or something, right? Like create a more structured ICO where you raise kind of similar to what you do today with real like uh, equity funding, but um, do it in like tranches or something. I don't know what the right structure is. I haven't thought through it, but I think you'll, I think someone will come up with a better one. Is that, okay, so like that's, that's one aspect of what the potential problems are right now that's, that's holding people back. But another one is clearly just, pure technology like is this shit even are we even capable of building these things at a scale that's that we need them to be at because that's that's a severe potential problem of like can blockchain systems fundamentally scale to a global network of thousands or hundreds of thousands of transactions per second that provide real value that other platforms can't do yeah no i agree with that um, I think one beyond that, I think one of the biggest things we as an industry need to answer is like, what are we actually trying to build? Like, what are we trying to revolutionize? Because I don't think we've figured that out. And once we know what we want to build, we can know what are all our limitations. But if you look at some of the current applications that are being shoved onto the blockchain, it's kind of like the AI days like in 2015 and 2016, where everyone would show up and be like, oh, my company is AI with like this with AI, this with AI, this with AI. And you're kind of seeing that with blockchain, like, oh, blockchain this, blockchain this, Uber for blockchain or something, Airbnb for blockchain. But like, I don't really see blockchain as, as, as like a, as that kind of thing. It's more like your blockchain enables you to rebuild systems in a way that was never possible because you can align incentives using the security mechanism. And we just need to figure out what we want to build using that using that mental model and then actually 
solve the solve the scale and then we know what problems need to solve in terms of scalability and making that a reality if that makes sense so you would say the fundamental thing that blockchain provides is really the incentivization of making people act properly yes it aligns intent incentives without a central party so you you have to have so that that requires economic incentive like you, you can't have like based yes. on that assumption you cannot have a blockchain system without economics being a part of it which requires some type of value token yes Okay. Then the like that then pretty much puts a good portion of the private blockchain applications outside the realm of what's capable or or you're usable by blockchain. Would you is that is that a likely follow up from that? <laughs> yeah, I'm so to be honest, I haven't done too much research on what private blockchains are actually being used for. To me, from the outside, they don't make much sense. Um, I would love for someone to explain to me and prove me wrong of like why private blockchains are actually useful. Um, because to me, what gets me like a completely a way to a way to maintain and secure a completely decentralized network. Whereas private blockchains, you're kind of in this like simulated world where you have constraints, and it's not. I don't know. It doesn't feel like a revolution to me. I see. I see the types of problems. I work in the, I guess, the, I guess, enterprise space is trying, at least, trying to find ways in which to apply this technology to something that's outside of financial or economic incentive. And it, don't get me wrong, it's challenging. And the majority of the people who do things have bad ideas that could be solved by an Oracle database. But I would say, like, I joined this space because I wanted to understand the the constraints and types of problems that enterprises are trying to solve, which are fundamentally different than the types of problems that open blockchains are trying to solve. And so because of that, it's it's really hard to apply an open blockchain model to anything that's going to be done inside of like a like inherently private setting or closed setting. And when you have closed settings, incentivization really doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it's yeah. it becomes like it's it becomes just a different type of problem that needs to solve where aspects of quote-unquote blockchain because in my opinion blockchain is just like a a bag of tools that you can put together in various ways to solve problems depending on what your constraints are like in in an enterprise setting that the types you can only use a few of the tools like proof of work it's it's worthless in a private setting and so that then limits you to a lot of the ways in which you come to consensus on which blockchain is the right one and things like that. And so I think just because enterprises have only now just started looking at these things, it's really hard to say that it's even like it, it, it looks bad because not many people have been trying to solve the problem correctly yet. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And one thing that I find interesting about what you said is you said, we're trying to figure out how to apply this technology to some problem instead of the other way around, which is like the best technology gets built because you're trying to solve a problem, right? Like instead of we're taking this technology and we're trying to figure out like, where can we shove this? Like, where can this actually be useful? Oh, there are definitely people um, doing that. And you're right. that The, the, the yeah. best way is to go the opposite direction, but enterprises have very well-defined problems. And then I'm not exactly. terribly sure there's enough people in the enterprise space that understand both the, like, like the strict problem set of enterprises 
and fundamentally how blockchain works correctly. And they can't properly apply different parts of what blockchain does and how it works to the problems of enterprise because that that the intersection of that Venn diagram is so small. And so the majority of people who are doing it are just probably doing it wrong. Now that makes total sense to me. Yeah, I'm curious to see how the enterprise blockchain space kind of evolves. There's some notable projects there doing a lot of work. Um, like I recently talked to someone at Hyperledger, which I thought was pretty cool. But um, I think Vitalik said early on one time that like, like private blockchains are almost a, to me, this is how I view it too, like private blockchains are almost like a testing ground for public blockchains because you can, for example, you, can, you don't have to worry about scalability, right? Because you can just put more compute on every node and, and, and deal with it that way, whereas you can't deal with that with public blockchains. So private blockchains give you this, like almost enable you to create a simulated environment and then see what applications are possible using that. Um, that's how I kind of think of it. But I know there's actually real big companies trying to actually create real use cases. I'm curious to see how it evolves. I'm just as curious as you, because it seems to me like a repeat of history, like intranets and internet, like the companies are getting really excited. They don't have to use fax machines in the office building anymore. Like, great, we can use this new email thing. We don't have to use the fax machines. That's what it feels like. As soon as they figure out the true potential is tapping into the public blockchain, it's a wrap. You've got, you nailed it on the head there. And that's something we saw in the, if you take that analogy, like we've talked about this before, where like intranets were basically used in the early days of the internet because the internet couldn't scale. It wasn't capable Mm -hmm. of handling all of the things that all of the giant enterprises wanted to do. And it wasn't secure enough. And there weren't enough standards set in place that if you wanted to use the internet, you could, everyone could agree on this and the correct standards. So they just built their own, kind of got ready, figured out how to use it and how to think about how to use it and what it was useful for until like the wide open, dirty internet got a little more robust. And then you had this massive platform where everyone could communicate with each other. Internet still exists. I mean, a router yeah. at your home network is an intranet and then it access the internet. It, it, it's just a matter of like how we think about it now is the internet grew massively larger than everything else. And I think we're going to see the same thing with kind of private chains and, and public chains. Mm-hmm. Are there any, pro- are there any projects in the space that you're really excited about? You mentioned earlier in the interview, you said, you know, there's lots of projects that uh, they've been going on for a while doing tough work, but now they're just getting overshadowed by the fact that everything is mooning all at once. So are there any ones that you, you're particularly gung-ho about? Oh, um, Give a shout out. I'm probably um, staying up to date on what the Ethereum core team is doing right now in terms of, you know, some of the research that's going on with Casper and proof of stake and uh, also the ZK snark stuff. Um, I don't have specific projects per se that I'm like totally stoked about. I'm honestly just stoked about Ethereum. I think I'm still a firm believer in Ethereum and mostly because I believe in the team. And so for me, Ethereum is probably the project I'm most stoked about. You're not going crazy over CryptoKitties? I tried to buy some and it did not work. Like I literally spent an hour and I was like, (laughs) I love the ownership. It was I tried to buy. 
I tried to buy some kitties. Couldn't get them. Couldn't yeah. Get them. I, Did you I got a, yeah, I, I attempted to, and I, I spent about 45 minutes and couldn't figure it out. I'm with you. I'm waiting on Digimon. Like, every time I try to buy it, yeah, every time I try to buy it, like, I'll say list only the ones that are available or whatever, and then I'd buy it, and then every single kitty says it's already been sold. There's some bug on their site or something where, like, they're putting up something. sold kitties. Anyway. These things are selling like hotcakes. <laughs> I got a, a curveball question for you. You, uh, you. you tweet regularly about your younger brother who's pretty smart in his own right. What is it like for someone so young and to kind of have this introduction to crypto from someone such as yourself because we never ever get insight into what teenagers think about this space so i was kind of curious what you've gathered from that or could he not care less yeah um he's actually i think he's just starting to get into it so when i go home in a month i'm probably gonna brainwash him <laughs> into crypto but i haven't done that yet um he and i'm sure he's like already buying and stuff but honestly i don't I, i'm curious to know that too so i'll i'll, I'll report back once i know nice what well, you got another question Corey? nope well i do we got one last question for you Preeti. Yeah. it's gonna be difficult pineapple on and, pizza yep <laughs> no no just kidding just kidding <laughs> In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Good question. Mm-hmm. Um, a decentralized, trustless system for transacting with one another. That's ten, 10 on the dot. That's 10? That's 10 on the nice. dot. It's <laughs> almost like you practiced. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, Preeti, thank you for stopping by. Awesome. It was really fun. On a Friday night, no less. Appreciate Heck your time. Yeah. yeah. Have a good weekend. You did the same. And that was the interview with Preeti. Casadari, did I get that right? You did not. It's all right. Because interview's over. She already did it. Casablanca? She can't take it back. It's too late. I've messed it up twice. Can't take it back. Interview's already happened. Your interview's already happened. Sorry. Shit. It's too late. I'm sorry, Preeti. It was a great great discussion. Um, I'm sorry I got your last name wrong. Hey, did y'all get to talk to her at DevCon? I did. Only for a hot second, though. Like, I talked to her, met her, said hello, and then something happened, and I was, I got, like, my attention was taken somewhere else. I did not know she was she. I I just um, she was know, surrounded by a that, mob of people. Well, she's yeah, popular. She was like getting... she has so many. She has a ridiculous number of followers, and her yeah, I would true. say her articles are so well written that like they're they're well founded. Like that. Mm-hmm. I would love to. <laughs> I'm gonna call you out on this quote, Preeti. If you're listening to the show, this is my favorite quote at the beginning of the. Uh, <laughs> At the beginning of the interview, when you were asking her about her writing, and she says, I still hate writing, but I do it because I love it. And uh, I was like, Mur? I get it. I get what she's saying there. I mean, it's one of those things. Like, it's like she did it to running, like we're working out. No one likes the process of doing those things, but it feels so good after you're done. I it's, liked running. 
until you're, my knees start you're turning weird. into robots. You're a weird person if you like running. That's like saying, I hate doing drugs, but man, after I get done doing them, it's no. great. No, that's <laughs> not true. Yeah, like, <laughs> nobody likes working out. It's just they like the feeling they get after they work out and the, and the, and the results it gives you. Those are worth more than the pain of going through doing it. And there's like an aspect of like, it's good to put yourself in uncomfortable situations if it's, if it's Mm -hmm. beneficial. You can't grow your box unless you step outside of it. Muscles don't grow unless you stress them. Poster is that from? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Uh, He just said. I'm not going to skip over that wise Negro Domus wisdom you just said. You mean you're talking about you can't grow your box until you step outside of it? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, just, it's true. Like you get trapped in your own little world. And until you challenge yourself to, you know, put up the ladder and climb outside of the box, you don't even know that you could expand it. Like you just you're stuck in that box. But when you start challenging yourself time and time and time again, your box just becomes this flexible thing, you know, like you just grow and shrink and you can adapt at will. And I think that's, uh, this has gotten a lot deeper than I thought it would go when we were talking about Preeti's quote about hate, love relationships with things. But, um, you know, she, she's challenging herself to write and write well. And, um, challenging oneself is one of the most difficult things on the planet. So, um, on to other things. So, Corey, you uh, you experienced some of the same struggle that I experienced a few weeks back uh, with Bitcoin uh, this week. Is that correct? Uh, kind of. Oh, your cat. Wallets, wallets suck. Just wallets, yep. wallet software sucks, period. I mean, it's it's ridiculous that there's certain things you can't do when sending Bitcoin transactions on all wallets. One of them is make your own fee. Yeah. And I understand that maybe they didn't do it for design decisions and make it ease of use. But I sent um, some Bitcoin to my my ledger from Jax. And it cost me like $37 on the lowest fee Ooh. possible. Wow. There's nothing, there's nothing that I can do about that. Now, that may be because I had a lot of different inputs. Actually, no. There were three inputs to this transaction. It wasn't that complex of a transaction. But the lowest fee possible that I can send, which is there like, this is dangerously low, caution, not recommended for use, was $37. I then immediately sent a transaction from from a SegWit address on my ledger to pay for something. It took 10 minutes and it cost me, I think, 30 cents, 15 cents or something. Now, I did this a few times. And those tra- that I think it was lucky that I got the you know thirty cent transaction in so quickly. Mm. And they responded to you, didn't they? Oh, they they concern? oh they said, did you update your loved your 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 Jack's wallet? Are you using the latest <laughs> Jack's wallet? Like, does your latest like Jack's wallet like allow idiot. me to use or define my own fee? No, go yeah. fuck yourself. Like <laughs> it's and if you look around all wallets. They don't give you this option. I mean, Ledger does. Ledger yeah. allows, like, the Ledger software allows you to define your yeah. own fee. Ledger's love- winning right now. I did Segwit, Segwit for like a dollar the other day. So that was nice. And there's, so it's- I think a lot of this current fee is just people, one, it's Segwit is a, is a opt-in technology. You have to send your funds and it costs you 
$37 to send your funds to a SegWit address. If you're only mm-hmm. holding $100, you're going to screw yourself just by using, just by trying to use the technology. Yeah. And, but once you're there, like the, and, and I'm not terribly sure how low you could go if you're using, you know, traditional Bitcoin without SegWit. How, how low of a fee could you get through? Is it just wallets estimating how much things are going to cost and miners Here's- not saying anything? If the auction were controlled by the users, though, wouldn't that put the kibosh on all this fee shit? Like, what if there were a global consensus? I know this is never going to happen. This is definitely pie-in-the-sky type thought. But if the whole community was like, yeah, we don't want to pay any more than four pennies for a transaction, and that's all the fee we're ever going to pay miners, so fucking deal with it. All right, well, that that does a few things. That immediately does a few things. One, you can only fit so many transactions into a block. Especially with yeah. a one megabyte block, one megabyte block size, so that then automatically limits the number, the amount of money a miner can make, be incentivized to, to mine, um, with just based on fees. Right, you're going to limit the amount of fees they make when when mining blocks. So they're only dependent upon the block reward, because as the price of Bitcoin rises, if you keep fees low, then they only care about block reward. And eventually, now this is a this is a pretty large eventuality because we're only going to half the block size in 2020. Fees have to t- take up a good percentage of the incentives for mining because the block reward will eventually go away. So there needs to be some type of development in place that, if you keep fees low, drastically increases the number of transactions allowed in a single block. So that you have a large accumulation of small fees, which then incentivizes them on the scale of a block reward. Otherwise, they just there's no reason to mine. So we lose a lot of the security of the Bitcoin network. So you can't just say everything's free because the miners need to be incentivized, especially if their incentivization are they not the block incentivized making 12 and a half bitcoin a freaking every 10 minutes that's a pretty know. big incentivization is the word that i'm looking for i don't know i don't know yeah but there also has to be a way to deal with spam right because if everything's free everyone's going to try and use it and then you're going to have a real bad usability problem there's no way to deterministically guess how long it's going to take for your transaction to get processed if billions of people are trying to use free transactions because they can. Mm-hmm. If no one has to yeah. pay for it, you're going to spam the shit out of the network. Mm-hmm. So there's a healthy balance. So what should a healthy be? I mean, we got $30 and we got $0.03. Cents. Can we just agree on 10 to protect the network? Is that too much or too little to ask for protecting hundreds of thousands of dollars, billions of dollars? I don't... I guess it depends on what the throughput is. I mean, if you have 10 cent transactions, you can only process so many of them. You 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 include all possible use cases that are above 10 cents for value transfer. Anything that you're willing to pay 10 cents for is something willing somebody willing to, to send a transaction. So if you can only process, you know, 9,000 transactions and the network grows drastically in terms of how many people are trying to use it, like how many people are trying to buy or trade, then your transaction is never to get processed. There's no way to figure out who gets prioritized in getting put into a block first. Say if you have an extra, like say you're going to send $40 million in Bitcoin to somebody and 
there's a standard fee of 10 cents, then your your transaction, which is a pretty important transaction to you and that other person or whatever is relying upon that $40 million, is put in the same queue as the guy sending a 25 cent transaction to somebody else. And it's pretty much random on who gets processed first. Now, there has to be some type of prioritization of like some way to expedite the importance of your transaction to incentivize the miners to include it in first. Because if we want Bitcoin to do like back end value storage where people are storing a good portion of their wealth, if they can't move that wealth in a deterministic way, they're never going to use it. Right. Ever. Mm. So make up your These mind. These are going like, uh, <laughs> to be what you want to be forever. Yeah. These are just going to be an issue forever, and gas prices are going to be an issue forever. And that educational leap to the average consumer is it's going to be so damn frustrating. But the 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 mania of demand is in. That people want this stuff. So, and I could get here's me, Negro Dama's time. Coinbase isn't fixing SegWit because they have to find a way to absorb those costs. And I guarantee you, they don't fix SegWit until they go public and they, they absorb those costs like that. Because who's moving all that damn Bitcoin? A consumer ain't going to move it and eat that costs, eat, eat those costs. So they're going to have to SegWit everything up and then give everyone the option and they're going to have to eat those costs. But shouldn't Coinbase be excited by all these extra forks coming up and the consumers having no idea about them? Like they're going to take so much money from these forks, sell it back to themselves, and the consumer is never going to have any idea what's going on. I don't know yeah. if they're going to be able to do that. I, they, they're not going to. That's theft. That they can't do that. I don't know if they're going to um, be able to do that. But how do you? Then you can just basically DDoS Coinbase. If they sure. if they if they always say they have to provide if it's mandatory that they have to provide a forked coin to the user or a way to do it, then you yeah. can pretty much like if you can get enough people to do it, you can DDoS Coinbase by just constantly forking, and then they can never improve themselves because they're always trying to provide those assets to their users. It could happen in now. It could happen this week. There's like 80 forks coming up in December, so I mean, like just naturally. Yeah, it's. I know one. I know GBTC, uh, the Bitcoin Investment Trust. Um, they just paid dividends back to everyone who owned GBTC by selling their Bitcoin cash. That so was, that was thank you, GBTC. It's gonna it's a great Christmas for me now. I really appreciate that. But I don't know. This is all stuff that has that we're figuring out, man. It's it's strange to be a pioneer in this stuff but that's the stuff that the market and the industry is figuring out i think that's reasonable because coinbase is a third-party service so you're subjugated to the decisions they make with your private keys if they say they're going to sell that stuff off and then give you a percentage of it or all of it or none of it that's their prerogative prerogative their prerogative i I might make that the outro it's a good song (laughs) um well, Daniel, you want to leave us with any thoughts? You doing anything? You work on anything? Plugging anything? No, you guys are awesome. There's no need to plug anything. I I just appreciate everything that you guys have done for the space and that are continuing to do. Uh, it's a huge honor to be on this podcast. I was asking uh, people at my, my work yesterday, hey, if you guys could meet celebrities, would you guys freak out about anybody? Would you guys 
uh, care to know anyone. Somebody said Carrie Underwood. I wouldn't care about Carrie. <laughs> 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 so, so in terms of like, you guys are the people that I would want to geek out with and getting to talk to you guys about Bitcoin, uh, being able to talk to people who, who know more about it than me is um, an exceptional learning opportunity. I really appreciate everything you guys do and continue to do. So um, thank you very much for all of your contributions and allowing me to just chill with you guys. It's been great. Thanks, man. Well, it means a lot. I appreciate the we'll network. Well, we'll all be in Dallas. We're in your stopping grounds uh, a couple months for the Super Conference. Uh, when When is that officially? So I can put that on my calendar. I got it right here. Right after, February right 16th through the 18th, I believe. Cool. Yep, 16th through the 18th. You can sign up for them at uh, BitcoinSuperConference.com. Yeah, be real make nice it there, then, so you can come kick it with us. If you can't make be that, nice we'll find a way to hang out. Nice. Sounds great. Um, well, we can wrap it up. I have some final thoughts. I'm going to get my Jerry Springer on. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to finish this one where we started with the half a trillion dollars. And I could say back June 23rd, 1996 there there were two types of kids on this planet there was the kid that asked for their n64 for christmas and didn't think they were going to get it and then there was the other kid that asked for their n64 for christmas and busted ass that fall in school and they knew they were going to get the n64 so they had plans for that n64 they're going to need another controller they're going to need wave race they're going to need mario kart there's a there's a game structure of that 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 leads to hours played that's going to lead me into my next big ask, which is going to be Goldeneye 007 the next year. All right, mm-hmm. be that next kid. We asked for all of this value. We've been preaching to ourselves the choir, and finally the rest of the world congregation has woken up to the fact that yes, this shit is deserving of the value that it has. Be, don't be the first kid that's like, oh, shit, I got an N64. What do I do now? Be the second kid. We had a plan to do this stuff. We still want to bring billions into the economy. That's one thing. In fact, just go read Vitalik's tweets last week if you want to know the game plan. There's billions of people that are underbanked and unbanked, and they need access to an economy because that's humanity, man. That's untapped humanity. All right, what was the second thing? Did anybody else read Vitalik's tweets? Nope. Okay. This dropped really quickly. That, I'm so sorry for ruining that. That ah, you get some momentum there. We just destroyed it. I did. Shit, that was gonna feel like Independence Day, fucking oh, Gary Coleman level, and you guys just <laughs> no support. I felt good. Anyways, read the alien that said no peace because I like the alien. He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no peace. That felt so fast, <laughs> yeah. but we had some very lofty humanitarian goals with this stuff. And that's the finish line. And quite frankly, we're not there yet. So have the N64 with a plan for fun. Don't just think you're going to get an N64 and be surprised. Okay? <laughs> so that's some fucking wisdom. All right. So you can find us on Twitter uh, at the PTC Podcast. Cello runs the Twitter. Um, he'll tweet at you if you tweet at him or us. Um Corey uh, writes blogs when he puts them together. Um, you got any coming soon? No, I'm I'm building an application right now. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. What else do we do? You could find us on fucking Spotify. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, we're on Spotify. So uh tell all your friends and family, like, hey, uh if you if you have Spotify, which they probably do, just search the Bitcoin Podcast and boom, you're gonna find the Bitcoin Podcast Network and you're gonna get access to all types of content around the entire crypto economy sphere of content and things. Nimble Wimble was a recent one. Uh shout out to Big Mike. That was good. Good job, Big Mike. Yeah, that's a great like debut episode on the network, my friend. You've been getting good good traction. Um let's see, what else do we do? We we have merchandise that we don't make easy to buy. So if you <laughs> if you would like some of that, hop in our Slack and ask for it. And it's not gonna be any easier except for you will have known that you asked us personally. I got a big uh, box behind me. But spoiler alert, I don't have time to go to the post office. So if you buy it Eight to ten weeks shipping <laughs> estimate. We'll figure this out. Eight. We'll figure Eight. it out. We're gonna get that. It's on the. It's on our vision board. We're gonna figure that out. Um, if you have suggestions, we're more than happy for those. Um, hey, there's a little idea that popped into Slack this week, and it got some traction. And that's the idea of starting a Patreon. If you have suggestions for us, or if you want to help us out, like, yo, hit me and Corey and Cello in the DM, and let's figure this out together. And maybe we can have some sort of Patreon structure and get the three of us closer to a point where we can just be badass crypto juggernauts on a daily basis instead of having to struggle for the man. Um, am I missing anything, Cello? I think we're uh, good to go, man. All right. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana, of course. Um, let's see. Shout out to Kima Russo, uh, Instagram model. Um, she's fantabulous. Oh, who's the name of the g model? Oh, I cannot figure out who she is. Um, and I still don't think that's creepy, by the way. So, And Cello, did you say something about NERD being better than other rappers today? Was that you? It's, it's a sad state of affairs, but uh, M, no, I don't like one track off the Eminem album. And I, I'm going to give the victory to Nerd. All right. Do you like that nerd Rihanna song? I think it's dope too, but I didn't want to. I think the whole album is good, especially that song with MIA and Kendrick. Oof. Yeah, man. Nerd Oof. has never disappointed me ever, ever. So, but I never thought I would say that Jeezy is better than Eminem, but here we are, 2017. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, guys. 2018 is going to be a better year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's rebound. Here, Jay Z is coming out of retirement for a fourth time next year. So mm. can't can't wait for that. <laughs> um well, Corey, you got anything to add? Nope. Cool. Corey's gonna face that too. Play the outro.